0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. In about 595 A.D., the Church in England was in really rough shape. The Roman Empire had receded out of the British Isles. They had left uh, the native uh, Roman Britons, who um, were many of whom Christians, to defend themselves and as These uh, Germanic uh, pagan barbarian tribes went into the British Isles that pushed those Roman Britons back into Wales and Scotland and Ireland, leaving the south of England with uh, very little Christianity at all, and that very broken and bruised. The kingdom, southern kingdom of Kent, uh, it appeared might be ripe for Christian conversion, uh, but they needed someone to go to them, and the, the warring tribes who had been battered and bruised around the the perimeter were not uh, organized enough to do so. And so the Bishop of Rome at the time, Gregory the Great, um, named uh, Augustine and asked him to gather 40 monks and to travel to the kingdom of Kent to Christianize them. So he prepared them and Augustine and his 40 companions traveled outside of Rome and they made some distance from Rome and they became afraid and they froze. And they wrote back to Gregory and they said, do we have to? And Gregory said, yes, you do. You have to go. And so even though they were afraid and even though they knew the dangers of going to these uh, pagan barbarian tribes, uh, they made their way uh, to southern England and finally to Canterbury. And it is that uh, fear that grips us all, that fear when we realize what it means to serve the Most High God, the things that we're going to have to do, the sacrifices that we're going to have to make, um, the dangers that we're going to have to endure, the discomfort uh, that for many of us means uh, that we stop and we retreat. And this is what had happened to the people of Israel uh, under the prophet Zephaniah. They had stopped the worship of the Lord and they had retreated. Zephaniah is one of those minor prophets, not because he's important, not important, but minor because of the length of his book, Um, but just as powerful as he um, prophesies to the people. He tells them what it is uh, that is going to happen to them when they retreat from the work that the Lord has given them to do. He says there will be a price to pay. There will be a consequence for that retreat. And the consequence is not just a one-time affair it is a repeated warning of consequence and hope for reward that is carried throughout christian history we've talked about christian time and what christian time means um, many times before a modern understanding of time is perfectly linear we're going in a straight direction we're heading towards an unknown future things are getting better things are improving The past um, may have some influence over where we are, but not so much over where we're going. And we're going into this uh, brave new world of progressive improvement. That's a modern understanding of time, perfectly linear. A pagan understanding of time is perfectly circular. It is dominated by fate. It's dominated by destiny. People think, oh, there's no hope for me. There's nothing I can change. You even see it um, said uh, today in people that have a, very strong materialistic genetic understanding, right? I can't get away from my genetics or I can't get away from my family. And so there's this perfectly circular feeling of destiny or fate. Um, It is a place of hopelessness and of despair. Christian time is a mixture of the two, but not the two put together. It is a transformation of the two. So we are moving forward. We are moving, but we're never leaving behind Uh, the truth of the Lord. We are living into his purpose and into his plan and we are in his world and creation and his purposes in creation to make us for himself to dwell with him are never uh, far behind. They are always with us. And we're repeating this cycle as we're moving in this spiraling of time forward of uh, the Lord calling us to repentance and of his people coming back and answering that call. So when zephaniah says that the day of the lord is near he's talking about more than one day he's talking about the day of the lord and the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ and his birth and he's talking about the day of the lord that you and i are waiting for for the second coming of the lord so these are two days of the lord that are going to have the same kind of character and require for us the same kind of response and preparation That is that we need to be ready to give an account for our lives. Jesus went through the city of Jerusalem. We know uh, that he goes through the the tribes and he goes through the towns of Judea and he goes uh, to those that were dispersed and he lights a lamp and he examines them. He talks to them about the scriptures. He holds them to an account. He says you should know what's written in the scriptures. You should know what righteous living looks like. You should know what the Lord is going to say to you. And he prompts them into this bold life of promise in him. And he prepares the people. He prepares his disciples. He prepares the women. He prepares this large group of 120 and maybe hundreds more by baptizing them and by calling them to do ministry with him, right? He invites this large group to do ministry with him as he proclaims the gospel. And this is what Zephaniah says in chapter one, Verse 7, he says that he has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. So Jesus consecrates his guests through baptism and through preaching the word of the Father. And then the sacrifice that he offers, of course, is himself. He is the Passover lamb. He is the final Passover feast. He is marking their homes and their hearts with his blood, saying that they belong to me, they are Christ's forever, so that we can enter into his glory And paradise. And so he is the sacrifice, and we are his guests that he has consecrated in the church. And so when he comes again, when we prepare for the day of the Lord, there are some that think, oh, I will have silver to give him, or I will have some (coughs) offering as if we can buy God's favor, as if there's anything that we can offer to him um, that isn't already his. And we understand that the sacrifice that he wants from us, the participation, is our hearts and our minds, our bodies to be. Um, faithful and loyal to him and to his purposes. And this is the call that Jesus gives here at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Here in chapter 25, we're right at the end, right? This is the week of um, the triumphal entry. He has entered into Jerusalem at this point. He has sanctified the temple, right? He's cleansed it. He's kicked out the money changers. And now he's in the temple precincts and he's giving these last bits before his crucifixion, before his arrest, And he is talking about his second coming. He's already preparing them to say, yes, I'm going to die and be risen again, but I'm going to come again. And when I come again, I will come in great power and there will be judgment. I'm going to say, this is what you were given. These are the days. These are the people. These are the purposes. And did you fulfill my purpose? And so there's going to be this calling to account. We saw this last week in the parable of the 10 virgins, right? They have to answer and participate in the wedding feast. And now we hear this parable of the talents. The five, the two, and the one are talked about in several different ways by the fathers. And of course, there isn't just one way to interpret this five, two, and one. There are many ways, as long as they're not contradictory to themselves or to other parts of Scripture. We can have lots of different ways of talking about this. The one that really intrigued me this week was um, St. Gregory the Great, again, because of this preparatory work he did with Augustine, with all those missionaries, uh, many more that he sent out. He did lots of Pastoral teaching. He wrote one of my favorite works on pastoral care, and he talks about a very practical way that we're called to serve the Lord. And he talks about this in this five, two, and one. So St. Gregory says that the five are the five senses that indicate mankind. Five is a number that's often talked about as a number for mankind, right? Um, because of the, the five digits and because of the five senses. And so it is our humanity. Uh, that we're being called to give in service to the Lord. Remember, the talent is a, a large unit of money. It's almost like 20 years worth of daily wage for somebody. So this is really life. He's saying the whole life, the earning of a lifetime that I've given to you, right? What have you done with it? And so for the five, this is the, a large earning of a lifetime. This is all of the benefits that a person has. And have you used these in my service? And so the five is a more practical, pragmatic way of saying, this is how I lived my life in service of the Lord. And maybe you have people in your life that are evidence of this for you. Um, I've been blessed to know many people in my life that I think are a good example of this. Uh, One of them was a laywoman when we were at St. Mary Manteca by the name of Mary Jo Smiley. Mary Jo uh, was a, a gracious hostess. And she would go into the church and she would look to see um, just uh, by her native kind of instinct and the way that she lived her life, how is a visitor going to see the church when they walk in? Will they have tissue where they need it? Will they have a prayer book where they need it? And she would be moving prayer books and hymnals and putting out tissue. She would go into the parish hall and she was preparing coffee and looking at the linens and seeing if things were where people could find them, checking to make sure if there was toilet paper in the bathrooms. I mean, she would walk through the church, and this wasn't a a job that she took on or anything that she signed up for. It was just the way that she lived her life, and it was really clear when you would go to her home. She had the most modest of homes, a tiny little um, house that was in the middle of an almond orchard. If you were doing 50 by the orchard, you'd almost miss it for this tiny little place And when you would walk in, um, you were so invited and it was so clear that she lived a life of hospitality, ready with tea and with a cookie and an easy chair, and so uh, natural in her way of inviting people in. It always seemed like there was somebody that was getting a pair of clothes or that she was looking for something for a a child or a friend of a friend. And, And so she lived this kind of life of service, always looking to see what will this other person need, and using that, Native imagination to provide for hospitality and just a natural, practical, and pragmatic way. A whole life living devoted to service in Christ. Another example of this um, was uh, uh, John Boggs, who uh, was uh, the senior warden when I was at St. Mary's. And the senior warden's job um, it can be a difficult one. One of them is to come to the priest and to talk to him when the priest isn't always on track, Uh, When we were at St. Mary's, we were leaving the Episcopal Church and it was a really stressful time. And I was spending a lot of time serving the diocese, traveling to Fresno to meet with the bishop and be on various committees. And John came up to me um, at one point during that time and he said, you know, Father, uh, we um, love the bishop and we're glad that you're participating in this, but that's a little bit too much time that you're spending in Fresno. You need to pull back on that a little bit. And he said, I'm not going to tell you the exact number, but we need to talk about this and have a clear number so that you're um, serving the people that are paying your salary, in effect, (laughs) right? Um, And and John was like this with everybody. He was ready for a direct conversation. He, again, was somebody that was easy in his um, giving and and help of others and all those native talents. And when somebody would have a difficulty with me, um, he wouldn't um, take their message to me he would say father howard is easy to talk to i'll go with you if you need to talk to him he would never allow somebody to do the run around and to go through him he would say father howard is approachable and if you're afraid i'm going to help you to do that i'm going to help you uh, to go and talk with him or to do what you need to do but more about that in a moment the two is understanding and devotion the two is understanding and devotion so to understand the things of god to understand his ways and to have a practice of devotion, a practice of prayer and of reading of scripture. And one of the best examples I have of this in my life is Bishop John David. He would wake up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock every morning and do his morning prayer, um, no matter how late he was up the night before. Um, He was devoted in his prayer. He was devoted to time to listen to the Lord. When there was discernment to be done, he would discern for others and help them discern through prayer. He was practiced in this devotion. And when he told you that he was praying for you every day you knew that he was doing it i was blessed to be shown by him his um his journal that he kept for daily prayer and he had these beautiful um binders that he had just notebooks and if he was going to pray for you he would have a picture of you he would have some note card of you some kind of a memento if it was a missionary family he had their photo and the names of their children and he kept this book so that he would be in daily prayer and devotion for those people. And there were pages and pages of this prayer. And his devotion was such that he could teach it to others and to develop that life of prayer and discernment and the Lord for others. And so again, this was a multiplying of this gift. The one, St. Gregory says, is understanding alone. That means we get it, we know what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it. That makes it a little bit hard for me to swallow. Mm -hmm. That means all of us. We know it. The question is, do we do it? And like Augustine and his companions, we stop because we're afraid. Because we're afraid. We freeze. And we're concerned about the time or we're concerned about not having enough for ourselves or we're concerned about not having the the time or the energy or the money or we're concerned that the people that we talk to aren't going to receive it well. And the fact of the matter is that all those things can happen. There will be challenges. There will be difficulty. There will be suffering. That's life. But we have a call to serve. The bankers, the bankers are the church. This is our job. When we have fellowship and we talk to one another, there will be times when we say, I'm afraid. I wanna talk to somebody, I wanna have a conversation, I'm having difficulty, will you talk to them for me? And this is where we say, no, but I'll go with you. I'll help you. I'll have the conversation with you, I'll be right by your side. We don't do hard things for other people so that they can avoid that challenge and then not receive the gift that the Lord has given them through transformation, through sacrifice, through diligence. But we support one another. We teach one another. We help one another to go and do the ministry that God has called us to do, whether it's visiting someone or calling them or having a hard conversation with them or having a a discipline of prayer or a discipline of, of giving. We can help people budget. We can help people schedule. We can help people to do that work that they are given to do. We are the bankers, and we are here to support one another so that each one in our midst will receive that awesome awesome promise of christ well done good and faithful servant saint paul teaches us when we do this in his um, first letter to the thessalonians that as we prepare for the day of the lord we know that it's going to be unexpected we know that it's going to happen at any time and so He tells us that we have to have um, an attitude of being awake, that we have to be observant, that we have to be sober, right? And to be sober means that we're not getting high or drunk to the place where we can't do the work that we're given to do, that when an emergency comes or somebody needs us, that we're ready to answer that call, that our wits are about us, that our minds are clear and focused so that we can do the work of the Lord in and out of season, wherever it is and whenever it is that he calls upon us, and that we're to keep awake, And that we're to do this with faith hope and love faith means faithfulness loyalty right sometimes we think of faith as being this kind of esoteric super spiritual hard to understand thing faith is a real practice of loyalty to god the best example i saw of this recently was one of our um, homeschool families in our homeschool community Um, has adopted um, several children, and some of them in special needs. And I saw the two older children getting out of this family's van on their way to swim, and these two older children went to the back of the van, and they started to get out all the equipment that the younger children needed and to carry them and to help them. Uh, their, Their mother didn't say a word. They just did it. Now at some point she had taught them how to do that, but now they were loyal. They understood what the project was. They knew the plan of their family. And this is what faith is. It says, we know what God's plan is. We know <clears throat> what he's doing. We're not surprised by his call to love and to service. right? And so we're faithful, we're loyal, we're obedient. We're participating in God's work. To hope means we're looking, we're yearning, we're, we're on the lookout for God. We're looking to see where is he calling me? Where is he calling you? Right? How is it that I'm supposed to understand this situation? What are the opportunities to show God's love? Hope means I'm looking for the opportunity, right? And so often we miss opportunities to share a word with somebody or to share the faith or to serve them or to encourage them because we're not looking for it. We're not waiting for it. And if we're looking and waiting for the opportunity to encourage and to love one another, more often than not, we'll be able to take it. But only in hope when we really desire and we're yearning for that opportunity. And love, of course, is that sacrificial love that we offer to our friends and to our families, which is really wonderful and sweet, but that's really not it, is it? Because when we love somebody that can easily love us back and repay the favor, so what? Thieves do the same. But it's when we love our enemies. It's when we seek the best for those that seek to harm us. When we call them to repentance when we seek to treat them with kindness and with gentleness and with love. Doesn't mean we get rolled over. It doesn't mean that we don't have to stand firm. It doesn't mean we don't have to defend those who are in trouble, but it means that we do so with the love of Christ in our hearts. Augustine and his companions finally made it. They got to southern England to the Kingdom of Kent, and they met with Ethelbert and with his wife, Bertha, and the record shows that they converted almost immediately. It was so quick that modern scholars say, well, maybe they were prepared for this because of the inability to see the miraculous. But the truth of the church is that their hearts were converted by the Holy Spirit, and Augustine and his companions were faithful, and thousands after their king and queen were baptized baptized were baptized in the kingdom of Kent and they were given a church at Canterbury and uh, the church was reformed and renewed in such a powerful way that you and I are benefiting from that work today. That is the return of those talents that they spent though they were afraid. And we are assured that they heard well done good and faithful servant. And our prayer today is that we hear the same that when we show the practical ways in which we have been faithful and looking for the love and the hope and yearning for God's kingdom, that when we are judged, we too will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your king. May we enter into his joy. Amen.